Welcome to Exploring Boys Education, the International Boys Schools Coalition monthly podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Collins. Together with thought leaders and educators from around the world, we'll dive deep into the evolving landscape of boys' education, discuss its challenges and highlight the innovations driving its future. So whether you're a school leader, teacher, parent, or just someone interested in the world of boys' education, this is the place to be. In today's episode, we delve into a crucial aspect of education with Mark Dowley from Brighton Grammar School in Melbourne, Australia. We speak about the power of teacher-student relationship, especially in boys' schools. This bond, as we know, is a key driver in cultivating positive behaviour and promoting effective learning. We'll explore practical insights and strategies for navigating classroom dynamics in boys' schools, mastering the arts of engaging and inspiring young minds, and creating a supportive learning environment. This discussion is essential for anyone involved in boys' education, offering valuable perspectives on enhancing teaching and learning experiences in these unique educational settings. But before we talk with Mark, I'm joined again by IBSC Executive Director Tom Batty for the IBSC Newsreel. Thank you, Bruce. And again, welcome to all listeners. Since last podcast contact, I've had the pleasure of spending time in Vancouver, with heads and chairs of Canadian boys' schools. With exchange of responses to current issues came the sharing of initiatives and stories of remarkable acts by boys and teachers. Great work is being done in our schools and the strength of IBSC is built on informing such advancements and sharing the fruits to all our members. Wherever you find yourself as you listen to this, we want to acknowledge you for the hours, the ingenuity, and the dedication you devote to the care of boys. We send our gratitude for your continued enthusiasm to share your learnings with all who connect with IBSC for the benefit of the boys we serve. And this is exactly what we'll be doing in this episode as Bruce speaks with Mark Dowley, Associate Head of the Crowther Centre, which provides focus on staff development and consulting at Brighton Grammar School in Melbourne, Australia. In their conversation, Mark offers techniques for engaging boys in the classroom, effective behaviour management, transitioning strategies, debunking testosterone myths, and the value of positive reinforcement in boys' education. Before we hear from Mark, however, I'd like to highlight some IBSC programmes that are open for registration. I encourage you to visit the professional development page on our website for detailed information about the following. On the 27th and 28th of November, IBSC will be hosting an online program with Matt Engler Carlson called Navigating Boyhood. The focus of the two online sessions will be boys' well-being, interpersonal relationships and self-identity. We have three online classes starting on the 5th of February of next year. We again run our successful Better Boys, Better Men class. And there is a new class we are very, very excited about called Mastering Middle Leadership in Boys Schools. And we again go with our popular 
single gender education, a course for teachers new to boys' schools. The 2024 IBSC Southern Africa Conference takes place from the 7th to the 9th of March in 2024 at Hilton College in South Africa. Not surprisingly, registrations are coming in already for what promises to be another wonderful gathering on the southern tip of Africa. Having been at Grey High last year, I strongly encourage you to start to book your flights to KwaZulu-Natal. Please don't miss out on this remarkable opportunity. On 17th of January 2024, we commence our Ideas Lab for Deputy and Assistant Heads in Boys' Schools. Ideas Lab programmes are always very popular, so please register soon. Lastly, a reminder that registration for the 2024 IBSC Annual Conference at Harrow School in the United Kingdom is now open. We encourage you to consider applying to present a workshop at the conference. The call for workshop proposals is open until the 15th of December and detailed information is of course available on the IVSC website. For now, back to you, Bruce. I'm looking forward to hearing Mark share his insights and expertise on the best care for boys. It's wonderful to be speaking on this episode with Mark Dowley. Mark, you and I have recorded before for our Teachers Need a Boys' Schools class um, around what it's like for a teacher to step into a boys' a classroom full of boys for the first time. And so it's great to be speaking with you again about behavior management in boys' schools. So welcome to the podcast. Love to just hear a little bit about your work at Brighton Grammar School. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, great to be here as always. Thank you for your time. Um, so I work at Brighton Grammar School. My role is Associate Head Staff Development, which means I spend a lot of my time um, working with teachers helping them improve their classroom practice. And one of the themes that comes through quite regularly is how do we help engage the boys and manage their behaviour, um, which we'll talk about today. I also uh, I teach mathematics and physical education. Uh, I've been in boys' schools for about 12 years now, um, and a lot of my role is, as I say, as an instructional coach there. Um, I also lecture at a university uh, in Melbourne around classroom management, and I've also you know, put a lot of these ideas together in a book called... Um, classroom management handbook and we'll talk about some of those ideas today. Yeah, as we think about the behavior of boys in boys schools, Mark, I mean boys schools are busy, vibrant places and often the classroom being the core of what we really do in schools and that is teaching boys and I know there's there's so much more we do in boys schools around developing the whole boy but essentially we're still educational academic institutions and you know, I believe attention is really, really important in a classroom setting and having boys engaged. And so as we start this conversation about behavior management and we think about the classroom setting, um, how, how would you suggest one effectively gains the attention of boys in a classroom setting, especially when they're particularly energetic or distracted? Yeah, great question, and that's one of the big challenges. Um, probably underpinning that like, it's hard for young people to pay attention these days. You know, with the introduction of technology, like students probably need to be explicitly taught 
how to pay attention much more than they used to. And so, you know, the teachers we work with, there's probably three key things that are really good. Um, one is like priming students. So if you want to gain attention, give them some time to say, all right, you've got one minute to finish the activity and then I'll have all your eyes this way. Um, and, you know, give them 30 seconds um, so, so they know what's coming rather than just having to shift from one activity to paying attention straight away. Um, another key point is be really explicit in what paying attention looks like in your classroom. So, you know, listen up probably isn't clear enough, but eyes this way, no talking, nothing in your hand is really clear for students. And so the more descriptive we can be, the better. And a great way to put that together is what we call a tool called narrated count. So you'd say something, okay, everyone, pens down in three, you know, eyes this way, two, no talking, one, you know, thanks, I've got, you know, 70% of the class looking this way, that's great, boys, just waiting on three more in the back row, up to 90%, last two, thanks very much, Jack, Tom, let's jump into it. So, yeah, using some of those tools together is a great way to, to gain the attention of the boys. Mark, I know that teachers in boys' schools will agree with me that there can be moments in class where you might have the attention of boys or things might seem to be going really, really well, but there can be moments when boys really challenge or debate an instruction or push back. Um, I wonder what you think about that in terms of diffusing those situations instead of or without escalating them further? Um, because I think there are ways of doing things that can push boys' buttons and things can go the wrong way. Yeah, um, you said moments, like just moments. Sometimes I feel like I spend all day trying to diffuse debates with, with boys sometimes. Um, so let's say how do you diffuse that? Um, a common example might be uh, like a simple request. You ask a boy, you know, can, pull, can you put your headphones away, thanks? And a student might say, Oh, they help me concentrate. And what you want to avoid is getting into that student-teacher debate like, no, they don't, they're bad for you. And the student's like, yes, they do. As soon as you get into any of that, um, it becomes very hard work and it takes away from teaching time. So one tool we use is what we call partial agreement, is when you kind of agree with what the student says and then move on to a direction. So you say, yeah, put your headphones away. The students say, oh, but they help me concentrate. The partial agreement would be saying maybe they do, but we've got a classroom rule about headphones. Put them away, thanks. Oh, this isn't fair, they'd say. Look, maybe it isn't, but we've got a classroom rule. Away, thanks. If they keep going, then you could give them something like a directed choice. You can either put them away now or you can place them on my desk. Choice is yours. Okay, and so using that partial agreement takes away that no, we don't. Yes, they do. No, they don't. And you can use it in a lot of different situations. Um, if a student says something like, this works boring, you're like, maybe it is, but it's what we're doing now. Rather than come out with an elaborate reason why um, integrating quadratic trinomials is a really useful skill for a 16-year-old to come up with. And I like that idea of directed choice because it's almost like you're putting the ball back in the boys' courts. You're, you're giving the boy agency to decide rather than forcing him to do one of those things. Yeah, choice is a really important part of behaviour management. That's saying you can put it in your pocket or you can put it on my desk, choice is yours, is a far better strategy than standing over a student and say, I said on my desk now, and as soon as you get into a power battle with a student, you've already lost because 
um, sometimes students can be quite stubborn and it'll escalate and take a lot more time rather than giving them the time an opportunity to make the right choice. And 99% of the time they do if you give them that 10 or 15 seconds of take-up time. One of the most profound experiences I had as a teacher in a boys' school was was listening to what the boys were saying about my teaching practice. And I developed a practice of regular feedback and of hearing from boys how um, what they were learning in my lessons, first of all, but also what might help them to learn to learn better. And I think, you know, as I was working through the content for this podcast, I um, settled on this, this question about making instructions clear and easy for boys to follow because one of the key points of feedback I got was so often you assume that we know what you want from us, but it's not particularly clear. I got that a fair amount and I was able then to, to develop in my own way um, uh, ways of instructing boys in, in, in a clearer manner. But in your experience, and I think possibly part of grabbing boys' attention was giving those clear instructions so that they know what they're doing and they know what the boundaries and the framework is. And so from your experience, what are some of the key elements that make the instructions we give to boys in class clear and easy to follow? Yeah, I like what you said there around being descriptive. That's probably one of the key points. Um, and the more, when you actually need to describe the behaviours you want to see, um, there's a great model that's called like act, talk, move. So in any type of instructions, like how the students need to act, do they need to be calm, can they be loud or whatever it is. Talking is the volume you go with it. You know, is it library quiet? Is it silent? Is it conversational? Um and then also, like, can they move during the activity? You know, um, that example of, you know, students paying attention, some of them think that while you're instructing, they can still get up and put a piece of rubbish in the bin or, or sharpen a pencil. And unless you explicitly say, no, you're sitting down looking at me during this instructional phase, um, there's that assumption, like you said, that you know what they, you want them to do, but if you haven't explicitly told them in detail what you want, um, it's harder for them to follow. So that so the idea of being descriptive and three pieces of information is usually enough, but really describe what you want and let them know what you want. Mark, I just have a, a question here. I know I can hear the voices of of some folk in my head from from an early time in boys' schools who who would say this seems very rigid and structured and maybe that rubs against the grain for them in terms of how they have experienced boys. Um, so what would you say to, to that when, when folk are, are, are giving some pushback in terms of actually we just want sort of a, you know, environment where the boys can just be themselves? Yeah, it's a fair question. Like you can do all of this stuff in um, a warm way and a collaborative way, but um, I'd choose the word clear rather than rigid. So our students need to know what the expectations are of them, and you as a teacher need to be clear what your expectations are. Um, so there is space for, you know, students to be themselves, and I would argue that, you know, the more calm and the more organised and structured the class is, like that gives more opportunity um, for, you to sell it, um, for you to be yourself. A great example is... Now, if you're a teacher and the class isn't very structured and you tell a joke or something, 
and the whole class starts laughing and it takes ages for them to get back on track. Like you're not going to tell a lot of jokes because you're going to lose a lot of teaching time. But if students understand the, understand the expectations and you can get your attention back quite quickly, you can tell a joke, students can laugh, everyone's having a good time, and then you can get them back and you don't lose that teaching time. So it's definitely not an either or, it's an and. Yeah, I like what you say there. And I think that that sort of reflects my experience too is that structure and those guidelines give one freedom to to build that positive relationship with boys. So it's not about controlling the space in terms of um, that everyone has to assimilate and be the same kind of person. It's about creating the freedom and the confidence that you as a teacher are getting through what needs to be done because in the research says that's important for boys as much as it might not seem important for them. But they want to know that they're getting what they should be getting in terms of the curriculum. Um, and so I love how that structure provides the freedom, the freedom for us. And I think like there is a subset of students, you know, sometimes you're quieter, shyer students who, who really struggle in that loud, everyone can be themselves classroom. So providing a calm classroom, a safe classroom for them actually gives them a bit of a chance to shine, which they might not get in other play, you know, in the playground or, you know, on the sports team as well. So um, I think it does, provides more opportunities for students to be themselves. Mark, in my early years of teaching, particularly in a boys' school, I think I found the transition transition times in a lesson fairly fairly challenging. You know, moving from activity to activity. I was a I was an English teacher, so I think often in a language classroom we would, you know, have multiple phases in a lesson, and I'm sure that's true for other curricular areas as well. But it's so easy for one to lose. <laughs> lose boys in those transition phases of lessons. And and I'm wondering in terms of managing boys' behavior and keeping them on task, what are some strategies or techniques that you have found to work well in ensuring those smooth transitions, either between lessons or between activities, or often you might have a class for a double period and you give them a bit of a break between you know, the two periods um, and then getting them back on task? Yeah, so yeah, transitions, we can lose a lot of time. Um, one tool we like to use, we talk about, it's called reducing friction. Um, and like to share an analogy, like there's a, a lot of friction is you know, stuff that gets in the way of things running smoothly. So um, as an analogy, let's say, you know, we try, you want to start exercising and go for a run. So you, you want to go for a run the next morning, get up first thing and be out the door. Like ways to reduce friction would be, already have your clothes out the night before, have your shoes next to the door, put your mobile phone with the alarm on it next to your shoes. So when you're in bed, the alarm goes off, you have to get out, walk to your phone and you're next to the shoes. Like that reduces friction. Contrasting to waking up in the morning, having to dig through the cupboard to find your clothes, your shoes are in another room. So just trying to make it as easy as possible for people to do the action that we want. And um, in a classroom, what that looks like is, let's say, I'll pick a mathematics classroom. Reducing friction means when I say, okay, students get to work, the, all they need to do is pretty much put pen to paper. So they've already got their book out. They've already got the, the questions that they need to answer. They've already got their pens out. So it's a very short three-second begin work, go. 
contrast that to lots of friction if you say get to work and then students have to dig around in their bag for a book or it's only at this point they realize they don't have a pen and they ask if they can go to their locker so you know the less friction you can have between when you say get to work and when the students start working the better it sounds to me in all of these things that you're sharing mark that we're actually in the process of managing our classrooms or our expectations um, in a structured way where we're inadvertently, or maybe we're we doing it because it's important, but we're, we're inadvertently teaching boys about or the skills that they're going to need beyond school, in, in uni, in the workplace, whatever it is, in terms of thinking through how they make decisions and how they prepare for, for situations that they're going to find in, in the, the world of work. Yeah, that's right. Like, you know, in work, we need to be organised. Um, we need to make the most of our time. And so you know, um, we need to be able to work well with other people. And you know, a lot of the things that we do in our classrooms are hopefully preparing students to be successful you know, when they move out into the, the wider world for this stuff. Yeah. Just staying with transitions, Mark, are there, are there some common misconceptions that educators might have when it comes to transitioning boys from one activity to another? And, and how might they think about overcoming um, those challenges? Yeah, I think one of the challenges is I teachers just underestimate how hard school is for students and often how hard the content is. And two things that work quite well for that um, would be checking for understanding more regularly during instruction. So a teacher might give instructions, but then ask a couple of students, okay, so what's going to happen now? And hopefully the students can repeat back to you the instructions that you've given. Um, the other thing that I see a lot in classes, so a teacher will say, okay, students get to work. And then as soon as they say get to work, a couple of students will start talking. A student will put their hand up because they have a question. And quite often in that transition um, is where a lot of disruptions and um, engagement might drop. Whereas some of your best teachers, as soon as they say get to work, um, a student, the, the noise level might rise quickly and the teacher might say silently thank you or quietly thank you and really calm the class down. And if a student's got their hand up for some help, instead of going to them straight away and the four students up the back haven't started yet, um, some of the best teachers say, look, great, you've got a question. I'm going to help you in just two minutes. Read the question again. I'm just going to make sure everyone started before I get to you. And that little shift to make sure everyone's working before they go and help the individual student um, is a really good way to keep the whole class focused and make sure those transitions go well. And I, I would suspect that the more the more we do this with boys and the more boys become used to the framework that we give them, it becomes easier. Yeah, all this stuff is a skill. A transition is a skill and we need to teach students the skill. And the more they practice a skill, the better they'll get at it. Same as any skill that we learn, be it golf or piano or cooking or whatever it may be. Mark, this next question might be slightly contentious, I'm not sure, but you know, we often we have this, this assumption that um, testosterone has a real impact on boys' behaviour. And are, are there any myths associated with this assumption and, and what does the research actually tell us about the impact of of testosterone on the behaviour of boys? Yeah, great question, particularly in the secondary school um, with boys. So I just want to frame this by saying like, this is still a contested space in the research. 
Um, you know, people argue back and forth about this, but I'm, I'm happy to share some findings that will be useful for teachers of voice. Um, it's a lot of it's, There's a great book from Robert Sapolsky called Behave, so feel free to dig into this a little bit further. Um, but testosterone, the general understanding is testosterone causes aggression. Um, and that's from because in the animal kingdom and a lot of human cultures, males do account for most of the aggressive behaviour and you know, testosterone is a differentiator. So there's a link there. Um, but recently in the research, and there's some really interesting findings, kind of three things. One is that the effects of testosterone are hugely context dependent and testosterone rises after a challenge to status, whatever that might be. But I think the gold part of this is that when testosterone rises after a challenge, it doesn't always prompt aggression. It prompts whatever behaviours are needed to maintain status. So I say that again, like testosterone prompts the behaviours that are needed to maintain status. So if we're in a, in a situation where, you know, aggression and violence maintain status, well, that, yes, testosterone will do that. But if there's some great studies where um, sense of pride and honesty were what was important, when they gave people testosterone, they actually made people more pro-social, okay, or more generous in different situations. So testosterone just highlights highlights or um, accentuates what we need to maintain status in a given situation. That makes it all the more important, really, for us to to set the standard of what is important in a school space, to to have that value base to which boys can aspire. Um, yeah, I, I think so too. Um, you know, the, the problem isn't that testosterone increases levels of aggression. I think the problem is that as a society we can reward aggression in some ways. Um, so I guess going a bit deeper, testosterone does um, boost impulsivity and risk-taking and those things as well. It, it decreases the functioning in the prefrontal cortex. So it's that let's stop and think about this part of the brain, which if you've worked with teenage boys before, you, you can understand that sometimes they're not using that part of their brain as much. Um, but it does show that if we can create a culture, like be it in our classroom or in our school or from a society where, you know, the pro-social behaviours of kindness and generosity and hard work actually are status symbols, um, that means testosterone can be one of our biggest friends and allies. Yeah, well, what I love about this conversation is, is I think it's so important to you know, explore how best to meet the needs of, of boys in our care. And in your experience, you know, as we've spoken through these things and I, I sense a lot of the behavioral management sort of tips and suggestions you've been speaking about in this episode really relies on, on a deep understanding of the science and research behind boys' behavior. How important is it for teachers of boys, for boys' schools to to dive into the research and how can our understanding of the science and research behind boys' behaviour shape our approach to behaviour management that we've been speaking about today? Yeah, great. I think um, understanding the research behind it helps us probably, one, avoid some of the misconceptions. Now, it's very like boys are aggressive or, you know, the boys will be boys' behaviour as an excuse for poor behaviour. Um, I don't think that's helpful. Um, 
going into the POSM framework, um, that idea of connection is super important. And, you know, with these strategies, as a great example, if you just tried to run all these strategies but didn't take the time to get to know your boys, ask them their interests, you know, see what they're doing on weekends, understanding their friendship groups, like they won't work as effectively. Um, uh, at the same time, you know, if you if you want to, if you're really well connected with your students, you know, maybe you don't need to be as technical with these strategies, but they do help. Um, but you know, spending some time in your class to help boys connect with each other is really powerful because we know that builds those other things, that motivation, and also helps boys understand their own strengths and weaknesses, that being authentic side of the model. So it really does help us avoid misconceptions, but gives us some really positive. Um, strategies that we can use to help build connection, help students be motivated and help them get to know themselves a little bit better. Mark, I know you you work a lot with um, the supporting teachers and and helping teachers understand the boys' school space. Um, I, I wonder in a boys' school spending, setting, are there any specific challenges related to behaviour management that teachers who are new to boys' schools, and I'm not talking only about newly qualified teachers, I think Every year, boys' schools around the world have folk joining their faculty who have never taught in a boys' school before, and so there might be some differences. But are there any you know, key challenges that these teachers who are new to boys' schools um, might encounter um, and might not expect in, in the boys' school environment? Yeah, I think so. Um, there are differences. It's interesting. We've asked different staff, different levels, say, like, is there a difference whether you're a might be say like a newly graduated teacher who's shorter and lighter stature compared to an experienced teacher who's the rowing coach or rugby coach, whatever. We ask the rowing coaches if there's any difference. They're like, no, it's all the same. Boys will be boys. But we ask the the younger, less experienced. He's like, yes, it's completely different. The the six foot five coach walks in and all the boys sit quietly, um, but the new teacher has to really earn their respect. So I think the experience is different. Um, but boys are still looking for the same thing. Um, first thing when we meet a new person, we look for friend or foe. You know, is this person going to be fair? Do they have high expectations? And I love the phrase warmth. I mean warmth as in, you know, are they kind? Are they caring? You know, are they here to help me? So I think that's the first test you have to pass. Is this person actually here to help me do better? Um, second thing I think they're looking for is competence. So, like, does this teacher know their content? Can they explain things clearly? Can they monitor the class so that students can learn? Like, is this a class where some kid's going to kick me or call me names while the teacher's not looking, any of those things? Like, is Can they create a safe space? And I think um, the third part is really around boundaries. Um, new teachers will get tested by boys in this. Boys will ask a bunch of personal questions like, hey, what sporting team do you barrack for? And they can very quickly um, go to, you know, do you have a girlfriend? Do you have a boyfriend? What are you doing? I think the teachers I've seen have managed that really well and just say, that's, an, a personal, that's a personal question. Focus on your work, thanks. Boys go, okay, cool. There's the line. That's the line compared to teachers who try and be a little bit too friendly sometimes. Um, there's a time and place for that. Yeah, let teachers know which footy team you go for. My football team is Essendon and we are terrible and have been for the last 20 years. But the time to do that is kind of before or after class. You know, it's the classrooms for learning, but build your connections beforehand, out on the playground, out on the, the oval at recess, those type of things. So it's it's getting the balance of those three things right. And I suppose to see it as a journey as well, you know, as any relationship goes, 
you know, you you build that sort of carefully and intentionally. And I think then after time also there there comes a time where you've built trust, where there's structure, where there might be opportunity to share something, you know, a little deeper um, over time and not, you know, right at the get-go because you're trying to be their friend. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's why I spend a lot of time talking about these techniques, you know, these tools, because most of the teachers I work with, the care thing isn't an issue. Like they love students and they want to be a teacher and they want to do their best work. Um, And they get frustrated because they're not and the students aren't listening to them. And so we find ourselves working a lot in the tools and techniques stuff. Um, But as far as that connection and sharing a couple of stories about yourself, it's, it's more the when. You know, maybe do it in the last five minutes of class rather than the start of your first lesson. You know, do it, um, you know, towards the end of term when you're talking about holidays coming up or something like that. So there is time to do that, but it's not day one, lesson one. Um, I'd argue day one, lesson is one is to let students know the expectations that you have, that learning is important in the classroom, that you're a competent, caring, hardworking person, um, and then you can start to, you know, build your connections as you go from there. I've loved this conversation because... I think the focus has really been positive and 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 all the strategies you've shared have been about positive reinforcement and not creating an, a situation where um, there's tension or, you know, um, a contest. But I, but I do think that when you mention boys and behavior management, there's often a, there's often a negative connotation that comes with that. But I, I know from my experience and, I'm sure from yours as well, boys seem to really rise to the occasion when given positive reinforcement, when they have a strong relationship with the teacher, when there's a framework that is firm and warm at the same time. Um, How do you think believing the best of boys um, will influence their their behavior and overall development? Yeah, I love that. And I think we all believe in the boys, one thing I think teachers do enough is they don't actually communicate to the boys that you believe in them. So, you know, if a student's away for one day and they're sick and they come back, like, do we actively say, we missed you yesterday? Great to have you back in the class. Or if students say, you know, you're having that conversation after class when a student might have done something wrong, you say, look, I know you can do better than this. Like, I really believe, you know, I know you're a great kid. You just made a mistake today, but I know you can be better tomorrow. So communicating that's really important like explicitly instead of just having students assume that that's how you fit. Um, so they do need to know that you believe in them. Um, and our, a great example of that is one program I see that really works across schools is like peer mentoring. So like a 16-year-old and a 10-year-old um, have like coaching conversations about their goals. And it's amazing how often when you give a boy, even some of the most challenging boys in class who, you know, are, are pretty hard work, you sit them down next to a young person and, you know, give them a chance to, to listen and ask questions and be a support. It's amazing how often they step up to be a good role model role model because they, they know they know what the right thing to do is and they're really good at playing that part when, you know, they're in a position of leadership and a position of power in some ways. And so I think we just, they all have it in them. We just need to create the right situation for them. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And, and also I think to acknowledge that that the boys in our care and in our schools are still, they're still children in many ways. 
and our role is to support their their growth in 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 the right way, is it not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, I'm sure we were all perfect when we were 16 or 15 or something as well. It's a nice bit of perspective when we reflect back to our our teenage self. You know, we all make mistakes, and and so are the boys that we work with. But that's okay. It's our job to help them learn from them and you know be a slightly better version of themselves moving forward. I always like uh, for for guests on on the podcast to share one piece of advice or insight that they'd offer. And so I'm going to ask you to do the same. You know, what is that one piece of advice or insight you'd offer educators who are striving to better manage classroom behavior in a boys' school setting? Um, you know, what's, that, what's that one thing you would, you would point them to? Um, my, my cheeky answer is to, to go to the website, classroommanagementhandbook.com, um, and have a look. Uh, but I think the one thing is to remember that like, behavior is a skill that we need to teach students and we need to teach these behavior skills with the same patience and rigor that we teach our subject content. So, you know, we know they're going to make mistakes. We're really patient when a student makes a mistake on a maths quiz or an English essay, um, but we need to take that same patience and that same um, quality of instruction when we're teaching them starting routines, how to transition, what attention looks like, because, yeah, behavior is a skill that we need to teach. And if you look at it that way, um, I think that it reframes your whole behavior management process. Really grateful for the insights you've shared. What I love about um, uh, about the, the things you've shared today is they're really practical. You know, someone can walk away from this conversation now saying, wow, I've been struggling with this or I've been thinking about how to do this better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this. I'm going to try this strategy. I'm going to figure out how this how this framework works in my context. So you, as you were in our last conversation, Mark, you've been so generous with your, your expertise and insights. Um, so grateful to you and grateful to the work that Brighton Grammar School is doing that has an impact beyond your own school, but in other boys' schools around the world. So thank you for spending this time with us and, and, and sharing your, your knowledge and insights. Thank you. I love being a teacher. I'm really grateful for your time. Um, and if this helps teachers and students in some small way, that's been a really valuable use. So thanks so much for having me. Really grateful to be here. As we conclude today's episode, it's clear that Mark's insights are not just thought-provoking, but also immediately applicable in the classroom. His experience and strategies offer a practical roadmap for educators seeking to build stronger relationships with boys and manage classroom dynamics more effectively, making significant differences in the day-to-day educational experiences of both teachers and students, particularly in boys' schools. I'm sure Mark has reminded you of the impactful role you play in shaping the learning journey and overall development of boys. So as always... Thanks for listening and keep on championing boys' education.